0: Listening to this sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, Reaching the World for Jesus, one person at a time. My name is Gray Carter. I am the hello, I'm the worship pastor here at Real Life. Uh, today I got to share and teach um, as we kind of transition into our new series. Next week we start a new series about the essentials of what it means to be a Christ follower. Uh, but today I get to talk about the power of praise and about the meaning of worship. And it's kind of obvious, right, for the worship guy to talk about worship. A little too obvious. Uh, Recently someone asked me, they said, Greg, why do you always talk about worship? Like, why do you always bring it back to worship? All your analogies, your metaphors, your stories. You know, even if you're preaching about something else, you always come back to worship. And uh, they also said, um, they asked, why don't you just talk about the topic at hand and not talk about worship for once. And for me, I I wonder how you can read through the Bible and not see worship just all throughout. It's expressed in all kinds of different ways. Expressed through singing, through instruments, through dancing, but also just expressed through the lives that are poured out as an offering of praise. You know, when, when you read the Bible from front to back, it's full of stories of lives of people who show us what it is to worship. Sometimes it's just through a heart that's surrendered, a life submitted, an act of adoration through our faith and trusting in God. And we see that through all throughout Scripture. You know, I think of the uh, the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. There's this uh, there's this woman. They call her a woman of the city. She's immoral. She's a sinner. And uh, in Luke chapter seven, she finds out about Jesus, and she's overcome by His forgiveness, by His grace and his mercy and his compassion and his love. And she crashes this party, and she falls at the feet of Jesus. She bows before him. She pours out all of her perfume at his feet. There's tears coming down her face. And there's no music involved but it's this expression of extravagant worship. There's a sense of adoration and reverence bowing before him. I think about, in the Bible, I think about the the wars and the battles in the Old Testament. The ancient Israelites would go to war with weapons, but also with weapons of praise. They would sing songs. They would play instruments. They would lift their hands. They would shout. They would worship God through music, but also through their life. Surrendered, trusting in God, and even the most difficult battles of their life. And obviously, in the Bible, I think about David. King David, he was a king of Israel. He was called a man after God's own heart. But there's music, there's worship, there's praise all throughout his story. It was interwoven into the fabric of who he was. He was playing instruments, he was writing songs, he was playing the harp. When he became king, he hired hundreds of musicians and and, uh, assembled this orchestra of nonstop worship. In his tabernacle, there was 24 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 33 years, nonstop praise. A lot of times you're going to read the story of David and skip over the fact that there's music, there's worship, there's praise all throughout. But David didn't just praise with music. He prayed with his life surrendered, trusting in God, bowing before him as the king of every king. So yes, when I look at scripture, I see worship all throughout, sometimes with music, sometimes through song and dancing, but often it's just through the lives that are poured out as offerings of praise. These living expressions of worship and in the Bible, when you, read, when you read the word praise, it actually could be a number of different Hebrew words. You know, in our English translations, we often read the word praise, but it could some, in the original Hebrew language of the Old Testament, it could sometimes uh, be one of seven different words for praise. So when you look under the hood of the English language, there's all these different meanings, these different shades, different flavors that add dimension to different expressions of worship. You know, it's just like weeks ago, Logan, our worship pastor, taught about the four different words for love, the four Greek words for love. You know, we read the word love, but in the Greek, it could have been storge, or philia, or eros, or agape. And in the same way, when we read our Bible in the English, we often just see the word praise, but it could have been seven different Hebrew words, all with different meanings that bring a depth to our experience and our understanding of worship. And so today we're going to talk about those seven words, the seven Hebrew words for praise. And I'm hoping that um, it'll deepen our collective understanding and experience of praise and worship. Are you guys ready for this? Let's do this. Yada, I want to start off with Yada. Yada. All throughout the Old Testament and through the Psalms, David would use this word to represent lifting your hands in praise. Extended hands. To shoot your hands up in the air during worship is yada. Psalm 118 says, you are my God and I will praise yada you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It's so like lift your hands as an outward expression of worship. Uh, this is not a charismatic thing to lift your hands. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It goes all the way back to the ancient Israelites, to King David. And I've heard stories of people coming to real life and they walk into our worship service or our worship night and they see people lifting their hands and I've heard stories of people coming in kind of being weirded out by it at first. They're not sure what to think about it. Maybe they came from a different tradition, a different denomination. And I understand this. I grew up in a Baptist, small Baptist church. Until the age of 10, we went to this Baptist church in, in California. We sing out of the hymn book. There was a lady who played the organ or the keyboard. You know, we sang with four-part harmony. We sang all four verses of every hymn. It was reserved, conservative, it was reverent, but there was no outward expression of worship. Uh, Maybe the most exciting thing that would happen is we would get to hear a special. Do you guys know what specials are? This is when uh, maybe a a lady, maybe a soprano with a perm and a... a Floral dress would sing a song accompanied by backing track, and maybe that was the most exciting thing that happened in worship. But even as we all sang, you know, no one lifted their hands, um, and how could we? We were holding a hymn book. Years later, I went to this um, retreat up in the mountains of California, and there was about 200 people there from all different churches all different denominations. And Chris Tomlin was there. Uh, If you don't know him, he's one of the uh, modern worship songwriters of songs that we still sing. Chris Tomlin was there at the small retreat. This was before he was too well known. And this is where I first heard the song, Here I Am to Worship, and other songs that we still sing. But at this retreat, at this worship retreat, uh, people were lifting their hands during worship. People were bowing on their knees during worship. There was spontaneous singing during the time of worship. Just singing out from an overflow of your heart in the moment, not pre-written, not pre-rehearsed. Spontaneous singing. And there was moments that were uncomfortable for me at first. It was new. It was not what I experienced in the small Baptist church You know, it made me think about what is worship? And I questioned for a long time, what is worship and what isn't it? And why was I uncomfortable? You know, and for many of us, we come from different backgrounds, different denominations, different traditions, different worship cultures. And maybe you feel uncomfortable with some of the different outward expressions or just overall expressions of worship. And maybe... You have different ideas of what worship is and what it isn't. But what I like about these seven words is they open up our eyes to the rich history of how God's people have worshipped for thousands of years. These words also invite us to step out of our denominational conditioning and to step in to the ancient, infinite expressions of worship and praise. And that's what Yada is. Yada to lift our hands and worship and praise it goes back to the time of David. In Psalm 42, David writes, "Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? My soul, put your hope in God, for I will praise you. I will praise Yada, Him, my Savior and my God." You know, in this word, yada, there is this notion of surrender as well. You know, it's I lift my hands up, I surrender my soul, my spirit, my mind, my heart, my outward expression, my body, I surrender as I lift up my hands saying, I can't do this on my own, this is too much for me, but I put my trust in you. And with all that is within me, I surrender, and even in the outward expression of lifting my hands, I surrender to you. Now, there's another word for lifting your hands in worship. It's our second word. It's tawdah. Tawdah also also means, it can uh, also mean to lift your hands. But this word is centered on the idea of thanksgiving, of being thankful, of having gratitude in your heart for how God has taken care of you, for how he's provided, how he's always been faithful. But there's something interesting about this word. In it, there is this aspect of thanking God before the fact. Thanking God for things not yet received. In Tao Tao, there is this aspect of thanking God before the breakthrough, before the answered prayer, before the blessing. You know, we see this in the life of David There was times he was running for his life. These people wanted to kill him. He was alone, hiding in this cave. Everything had been stripped out of his life. His life had been turned upside down, and he's hiding in this cave, and still he comes to this place of tauda, of, but God, you are faithful. You've been faithful. And I believe even right now in my mess and in this circumstance, and even when it seems hopeless, I will declare that you are faithful from everything within me, from my heart and from my outward expressions, God. I thank you before you come through. You know, when we sing those songs in this church, in this room, as a congregation, we sing those songs like today, yes and amen. And maybe you weren't feeling like singing that song. Maybe you didn't feel the, the faithfulness of God in that moment. But Tao Tao is singing and thanking God before the fact, saying, I may not feel it in my current mess, in my situation, but God, I thank you for the blessings that are to come. And I thank you for how you're going to come through and how you're going to work in my life. You've always been faithful. And so we declare it, standing up in faith, declaring, yes, God, you will be faithful once again. You are going to provide. You're going to take care of me. That is Tao Tao So Dao invites us to join the ancient Israelites in lifting our hands in thankfulness before the fact. There's another posture of praise, another Hebrew word for a posture. It is Barak, our third word. And in Barak, there's this sense, this notion of humbly bowing in submission to be submitted before the Lord, saying, you are Lord of my life, Sometimes I think I'm the Lord of everything. I'm the Lord of my life. I'm the guy in charge. But in this, it's this heart posture and it's even this physical expression of bowing before the Lord saying, you are king and you are Lord of my life. It is kneeling before the Lord. First Chronicles 29 says, David Barak, the Lord, in the presence of the whole assembly saying, praise, Barak be to you, Lord, and God, our Father, Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. And this isn't on the screen, but it goes on to say, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head head over all. He's saying, this is your kingdom, you are the head, you are the leader, you are the king. Right, David is a king who has a king. He's a leader who has a leader. And that's the essence of Barak. You know, when we, um, in August of 2019, my wife and I came out to visit Moscow and to check out real life, and we were trying to see, is this the place we're supposed to end up? Is this the place I'm supposed to lead worship. And I led worship on Thursday night and two times on Sunday. And I saw every time, every service, the staff of the church was in the room and most in the front row. And they were singing loud. They were engaged. I came from a church where usually the staff was out in the lobby during worship. And the lead pastor, if he was in the room, would be in the back of the room kind of like, arms crossed, kind of checking things out. I saw the staff in the front row engage. I saw Josh lifting his hands, fully engaged. Inhibitions were gone. Loud praise, celebratory praise. But after the upbeat song and after the battle songs, when the mood shifted to reverence and the theme shifted to the faithfulness of God. We went into that third song, and I saw Josh bow to his knees during worship in this room, the only one doing it, bowing down. There's a humility to it. They're saying, it's like him saying, you know, I I'm the lead pastor, I'm the guy in charge, I am the boss, but I know who the real boss is. I know who the real leader is, I know who the real king is. This outward expression of bowing before the Lord of his life. And in that, I knew I could follow Josh and follow his leadership. You know, today we sing the song, Great Are You, Lord. And in that, there is this heart posture of reverence, of awe, of wonder. And this heart posture, really, of bowing before the Lord, saying, You are so great. Yours is the kingdom. You are ahead head and leader overall. That is Barack. You know, we sang that song, Great Are You Lord, at worship night last year in October. And by the way, we have another worship night coming up in October. But we sang uh, Great Are You Lord last, at that worship night. And, uh, and I asked Josh around that song, I asked him, uh, can you take the mood, in your devotion, can you bring the mood from reverence to celebratory? So somehow, gradually, you're going to have to take it from quiet to loud and celebratory. And so he, he came up during the worship night around the time of that song, and he started quiet. And then it's gradually built, and he crescendoed. He crescendoed to this hyped-up, crescendoed climax And when he got to the crescendo, he ripped his shirt. (laughs) Were you guys there for that? Do you guys remember that? Totally ripped his shirt. He was wearing a button-up shirt, and where the buttons connect his and buttons went flying. It was crazy. It It was foolish. It was celebratory. And then we went to the next song, and it was celebratory. It was loud. And those are our, new, uh, our next two words, halal and shabak. Halal means celebratory, celebratory, exuberant praise, crazy praise. Shabak is loud praise. Let's start with halal. Psalm 149 says, let them praise halal, his name, with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. Again, this is fun praise, there's a sense, there's a notion to it that means to praise in a way that's clamorously foolish. It's letting uh, inhibitions fall away, self-consciousness fall away, and just celebrating even foolishly. Uh, this is where we get the word hallelujah from. It's the word halal plus Yahweh equals hallelujah, and that means praise the Lord. But this is David, King David dancing in the street. This is Josh ripping his shirt, ripping the buns off his shirt. Halal. And again, that night, we went into loud shabak, praise. Next word, shabak. Loud, this is the mighty shouts. This is the ear-piercing roars. These are the battle cries. In Psalm, there's a Psalm that says, God ascends amid the shouts of his people. There's a story in 1 Samuel that says, the army of Israel shouted so loud that it felt like the earth shook. This is Jericho praise in which the walls of the enemy fall down because of the loud shouts and because of the blasting trumpets and because of the presence of the Lord ascending amid the shouts. Psalm 145 says, one generation shall shabak your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And there's something powerful about us all coming together as a church, as a body, lifting up our voices together in that shabak praise. It's, it's usually it's a, the ear-splitting praise we usually only hear at a football game. But when I picture Shabbat praise, I picture those battles of ancient Israel and how they stood their ground even when they felt overwhelmed by their enemy. They stood their ground and they shouted out and they played instruments and they sang and they lifted their hands. And when God delivered them from their enemies, they responded with halal and Shabbat. Now we've gone through, so far, we've gone through the words yada, toda. Barak, halal, shabak, our next word, our next Hebrew word of praise is to te- David uses to te- throughout the Psalms, and it could mean just to sing a song. It could mean to sing a song from your heart to the Lord. But sometimes it means to sing a spontaneous song an unprepared song, an unrehearsed song just out of the overflow of your heart in that moment. This goes all the way back to the time of David. In Psalm 71, he says, My mouth is filled with your praise, Tehillah, declaring your splendor all day long. You know, David sang Tehillah praise when he was out on the field watching the sheep, and it was just him and the Lord. He wasn't just singing written, pre-written songs he was singing tehill praise just out of the overflow, fresh expressions of, of praise from his heart to the Lord. Now, this can be kind of a new concept. Um, I like to explain it with this illustration. Sometimes you go to the store, maybe it's um, someone's birthday or it's an anniversary and you buy a card. You know, you're shopping for cards and you look at the, the joke on the inside or the meaningful message that was written by the card company and maybe it's a a birthday of a a good friend or an anniversary for your spouse, and so you're looking at the the meaningful message in the card that was pre-written, but then hopefully, if it's someone that you know and love, there's that space below where you write from your heart. You know, that's where you write, you know, this is what you mean to me. This is who you are to me. This is why I'm grateful for you. You know, I'm with you for life. And so the pre-written message Served as this primer, this launchpad to your own message to your loved one, and that's Tehillah praise. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a student I had in, in California. I used to um, I taught college classes, college music classes, uh, music theory, f- music fundamentals, world music, and guitar. And I had this student one semester. We called her Grandma Jeannie. Grandma Jeannie. It was J-E-A-N-I-E. And she was a sweet old elderly lady. Um, She's the type of person that would bring in peanut brittle on a random Wednesday for no reason. But she was one of the worst guitar students I've ever had. Her hands were just so awkward. They just didn't move right. And she just wasn't made to play guitar. That's what it seemed like. And she wasn't picking up on anything. You know, 10 weeks in, she really hadn't progressed at all. And so late in the semester, around 10 weeks, I had this realization that I'm going to have to fail Grandma Jeannie. I'm going to have to give her an F. And so I was talking to her one day, and she revealed that she is on the prayer team at church that she uh, prays on her own one to two hours a day by herself. You know, prayer was her passion. It was her gift. Prayer was her gift because it wasn't guitar. But she loved prayer. And so we made this connection, and I knew how to teach her um, I taught her to do what I've done for years and for years before that. I said, um, Genie, during your prayer time, just play one chord. Take your guitar and just play one, maybe two chords, but just keep it basic and strum it or finger pick, but just let it ring out really basic. And during your prayer time, open up the book of Psalms and find a passage. And as you're playing guitar, just sing out. Just sing the words of the psalm. Just let it flow out. Whatever melody comes to mind, it doesn't have to sound good. It doesn't have to be on pitch. It doesn't have to rhyme. Just sing out the words of the psalm and play guitar as you do. And then after that, if you're ready, sing out those words. Just in your own words, in your own thoughts, expound on, on those ideas and what they mean to you. It's kind of the next step. And the whole time, keep playing that one chord. And then if you're ready, just start singing out of an overflow of your heart. Sing out your prayer. Sing out those things that concern you, those things that you're worried about. Sing what's on your heart and your mind. And the whole time, just playing that guitar. And so she was excited. And she, uh, she went home. And she started off with one chord. And just played that one chord and prayed and sang Tehillah. And then she went to two chords. And again, there was only like four or five more weeks in the semester. But by the end of the semester, she had learned all the open chords, all the primary chords. She was switching back and forth. She was finger picking. And I was so relieved that I didn't have to fill Grandma Genie, because I would have done it. And she really didn't even do everything that I asked of that class, but sh- I knew where she was, and I knew her progress, and I, you know I made an exception. She got to be. You know But that was all. Tehila praise. She allowed for the psalms to act as a primer, as a springboard, a launch pad into her own prayer, her own worship of Tehila praise. And the whole time Underneath was that zamar, instrumental praise. That's our last word, zamar. Now, zamar can mean to sing and play an instrument. But what's cool about it, zamar can mean to just worship with a musical instrument. Instrumental praise. Psalm 33 It says, praise Zamar, the Lord, with the harp, and make music to him on the ten-string lyre. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, there's instrumental praise. There's people playing the harp. There's people playing the trumpet and praising God through instrument. I think about King David. Before he was king, he played the harp. And during that time, King Saul was tormented by evil spirits, the Bible says. There was this dark cloud over King Saul that he was depressed, he was moody, he was cranky, something came over him. And so they said, send for David and have David play his instrumental zamar praise. And so David came in and just played on the stringed instrument. He didn't sing, he just played instrumental praise and it said Saul was relieved of the things that tormented him. You know, the Zamar praise changed the atmosphere in the room, it changed the fill of the whole house. It calmed down whatever was bothering Saul. And the Bible says that whenever that came over Saul again, David would play the instrumental Zamar praise for Saul. There's power in even instrumental worship. You know when I thought about this, I was reminded uh, in my own life where Zamar praise came up. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I were going through a stressful situation. It felt like our life was being turned upside down, like things were being ripped out. There was a lot of stress and concern and anxiety and worry. And sometimes your kids can pick up on that. your kid's going to absorb it somehow they take it on you know they may not know exactly what's going on but our our oldest daughter she was 10 years old she was having trouble sleeping at night she couldn't fall asleep she was tossing and turning she was having panic attacks you know somehow she had taken on the heaviness of the worry and the stress and even when she did fall asleep she would wake up with panic attacks and so I did. You know, the only thing I could think of at that point, I picked up the stringed instrument, the guitar, and I went into a room at night and played instrumental Zamar praise. And it wasn't just background music. You know, I played prayerfully. I prayed like I played like I was going to war. I played with an awareness of the Holy Spirit on every note. I played with an awareness of the power of praise. You know, and I played until the mood shifted, until the atmosphere changed, until the heaviness faded. And sometimes it took over an hour, and this was night after night, It took over an hour or something, and that was fine. I just kept playing until the peace of God fell upon the room. And she was relieved of whatever tormented her. You know, there's power and even instrumental zamar praise. You know, sometimes in this room during our worship sets, we have times of just instrumental interludes you know, we're not singing. We're in between the songs, and there's an extended space where the worship team is praising God through their instruments. And it's a time for us all to to pause and reflect and think about what we just sing. Uh, but there's a tendency for some of us to zone out during that time to kind of look around and wonder when the next worship song is going to happen. But I would invite you, during those times of Zamar instrumental praise, I invite you to just stand in God's presence and to pause and reflect and think about what we just sang. And just pause and reflect and think about the Lord during those times of Zamar praise. We went through the seven Hebrew words for praise, you know, yada, tauda. Barak, Halal, Shabak, Tahila, Zamar. And as you think about these words, you know maybe it's possible that a couple of them make you feel uncomfortable. You know, we talked about lifting hands in worship, bowing on your knees during worship, spontaneously singing <laughs> during worship. Maybe some of those make you feel uneasy or uncomfortable. It makes you wonder and question what is worship and what isn't it. Maybe they seem too charismatic, too expressive. Maybe you're not ready to embody those expressive you know, postures of praise. You know, God would say, that's all right. God knows where all of us are at, and we all worship in different ways. But I think we're all called to grow in our expressiveness in worship. We're all called to grow in our expressions of praise. And for some of you, as you think about these words, you might think they're just musical terms for people who are inclined to music, uh, for people who connect to God through music. But I would say the essence of all seven of these Hebrew words are not confined to this time, to this worship service. They're not confined to the church building or to music or to worship. I think these seven words call us to be living expressions of worship, expressed in a multitude of different ways. You know, for Yada, there is a sense of surrender. And so we say we surrender every part of our life, musical, in a musical way or not. We surrender to you, Lord. In Tao Dao, There is that sense of we thank you, Lord. We have a grateful heart and we thank you for things that we have not yet received. In Barak, there is a sense, an essence of bowing every part of our lives, not just during music and not just during worship, but as our life bowing in humble submission before the King of Kings and the Lord of our life. In Halal, we were reminded to celebrate our testimony, our story, what God's done in our life, we're called to celebrate and to express that in our lives, not just in music. In Shabbat, we're, we're called to loudly declare what God's done for us and who God is. And that can be expressed in a number of ways outside of music throughout the, all the different areas of our life. Tehillah, there's a sense of intimacy with the Lord, of relationship of our heart pouring out to his heart. In Zamar, in Zamar, we're called to be instruments. We're called to be living instruments of praise to the Lord, expressed in multiple different ways, just in the different areas of our life. You know, I think in all these words, they remind us to live a life saturated in worship, you know, that we would be living expressions That our lives would be an offering of praise. And it's the kind of praise that goes beyond a song and transcends beyond a building and beyond a worship set and beyond a denomination. We're called to live a life poured out as an expression and an offering of praise. We're about to worship through communion. Let's get our elements ready. And as we do, I'm going to read a psalm to to get us into this. During the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are eating. They're taking the bread, the cup. And it says in the Bible, it says at the very end, Jesus and his disciples sing a song. They worship together. And scholars happen to know that Psalm 118 would be the last song you would sing at a Passover meal. And so as Jesus is sitting with his disciples, for his last meal, and he's on his way to the cross. They sing Psalm 118. They sing it out. It says, you are my God, and I will praise yada you. And again, yada. In yada, there's that sense of surrender. And all throughout the psalm, over five times, it's that surrender praise. Jesus is singing You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And we're about to take communion. This is if you're a follower of Christ and we remember the Lord together. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat it, this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember him. Now let's pray. So God, I do, I pray that we would be living expressions of worship that it would manifest in different ways, not just in music. That in our life, there would be, be a sense, a reflection of bowing down before you and saying, you are Lord and King of our lives. That there would be a sense, a reflection of surrendering every part of our life. That we would, ha- we would have grateful hearts and thank you before the fact. That we would loudly declare who you are that we would celebrate all that you've done for us. I pray that we would have an intimate relationship that steps beyond the confines of structure and pre-written prayer and song. And I pray that we would always remember to pause and reflect and remember who you are and that we would be instruments of praise that our lives will be poured out as an offering of praise. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.